Hello and welcome to the Abiding Life Women's Podcast. I am so excited to be recording today with my mother-in-law, Betty Wells, and Mirtha Boudot. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, I'm really excited to be doing this with you guys, and I love just being surrounded with other women and being able to talk about what God is doing in our lives and the teachings that he gives us. And Martha has brought us a really cool teaching for today, and I'm really excited to hear from you. So if you'd like to just kick it off, you can tell a little bit about yourself or dive into your teaching. That would be great. I think I'm just going to dive into my teaching. So um, what I'd like to do for this teaching is to look at the different, several different road trips in the Bible and see how they can be a teaching analogy for our own spiritual journey with God. If you look at nature, and that's something that Jesus constantly would say, look at the birds of the air, look at the lilies of the field. Well, if you look at nature, sometimes you see a pattern of stages, like you see the butterflies or you see the frogs and they have different stages. So, spiritually wise, we have stages too. Uh, We're all born in the fallen stage. Then we hopefully come to our senses and realize that we need a savior. And we come to the safe stage, which immediately puts us into the sanctification stage. And finally, the last one, when Jesus comes, we will have our glorification stage. Now, the stages of salvation and glorification are pretty easy because they're like instantaneous. The moment you say yes to Jesus, that's it. You're saved. When Jesus comes, it's going to be in a twinkling of an eye, our glorification. But a lot of us get hung up in the sanctification stage. Yes, we are saved. And I actually saw this, read it this morning in a devotional, and I can't remember which devotion it, devotion it was, but it was funny because it said that we're saved, but it's like we got baptized with lemon juice because we are miserable. Yeah. And today, to the best of my ability, I want to share using analogies of road trips in the Bible and out of all things, board games, why it is that we lose the joy of our salvation. The main reason is that we, not God, have changed the rules of the game. The word is very clear that in the same way you got saved is the same way you get sanctified. Colossians 2, 6 says, now, just as you accepted Christ, continue to walk. So how did I accept Christ? By faith, by grace, through faith. Mm-hmm. So, Betty, if you can do me a favor, let's look at man's first ever road trip. And that is in Genesis 21, 24, if you could read that out loud. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now, 
lest he stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out and at the east of the garden of Eden, he stationed to the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree, tree of life. So we see here that God sends man on man's ever first road trip. But notice that he didn't send him empty handed. We see how God had to kill an animal teaching us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Now, scripture doesn't say which animal he killed, but I'd like to imagine it was a lamb. Mm -hmm. And that would have been a big hint, hint to man. It pointed to the solution to our fallen stage. Mm -hmm. So Jesus, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and, I, and we see that right from the beginning of the Bible. In my Bible, it was in page two. We start seeing God's plan of salvation already pointing to Christ. So this fallen stage is a condition we're all born into. And the sooner we realize that we are not made of sugar and spice and everything nice, the better for us. Adam and Eve's road trip represents man's natural stage the fallen stage and it's like that commercial where you have the older lady on the floor saying help i've fallen and i can't get up that's all of us yeah. whether we accept it or not we have all fallen and we can't get up spiritually so the next road trip I want us to see is the longest road trip in the Bible. It's so long that it covers five books of the Bible. And I wanted to divide it into two segments. Segment A, which is Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And let's say that that's part of the road trip leaving Egypt as an analogy of us leaving the world and getting saved. So that road trip represents the salvation stage. Now let's look at the second segment of the road trip, which was Moses trying to get them from the desert and into the promised land. And for teaching purposes, let's look at that road trip as our sanctification. So Let's backtrack a little bit to our salvation before we continue on to this stage. Salvation is both an out and an into process. Exodus 3.8 says, I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and into the land flowing with milk and honey. 1 John 3.4 says, we have passed out of death and into life. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt Egypt represents the world. And for us, Jesus is delivering us out of the world and bringing us into him. The moment you get saved, your position changes. You're now in Christ. I like to think of the little uh, Russian nesting dolls, the Matroshka dolls. I'm the little doll and Jesus is the big one. Now I'm in Christ. So when God looks at me, 
who does he see? He sees Christ. So two days ago, I really blew it and my temper just flared up. And that was July 20th. So when God looks back at July 20th in the life of Martha, right? Who does he see? Does he see yelling Martha, the little Matrostra doll screaming and yelling like a two-year-old toddler? No, I'm in Christ. So he sees Christ. Uh, it's important to know that Joshua and Caleb were the only adult Israelites of that first generation to make it into the promised land. Only they entered in what the Bible calls in Hebrews 4, entering into his rest. The other Israelites, they following the, the Lord's calling out of Egypt, they got saved from slavery, but they did not follow him into the promised land. So if leaving Egypt is a metaphor for salvation and entering into the promised land, a metaphor for our sanctification, it's fair to say that this is where most of us get stuck in the sanctification process. Many of us are in that same predicament today. We followed the Lord and he got us out of the world. Now our sins are forgiven, we're saved, but we fought, haven't followed the Lord into the promised land, which stands for living the victorious, abundant life that Jesus talks about. So let's explore why during our spiritual journey, why this happens. And it's simple. It's because during your spiritual journey, the enemy is going to do everything he can to throw roadblocks and detours to prevent you to enter into this rest that Hebrews talks about. The first detour I want us to look about is the detour of self-sufficiency. When you're on a road trip, the last thing you want to see is the sign men at work, because that means delays. Spiritually, you also want to avoid that men at work sign over you. And sometimes what happens is that when we first got saved, we understood that it was God that saved us, that we couldn't save ourselves. But as we got further along in our walk and we learned how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, how to pray, then we started getting some spiritual confidence and we start thinking, hey, I can do this. And when we started our salvation with grace, but then it comes to our sanctification that we throw our grace out the window and we start depending on the self-life to grow and mature. And that is a major detour. Understand that Jesus is the Lord of your salvation, your sanctification, and your glorification. And that was Paul's frustration with the Galatians. He asked them, are you so foolish that what you begun in the spirit are now being perfected in the flesh? The Christian life is lived only by the grace of God. None of us can pull this off. 
The word asks us to renounce self-sufficiency and exchange it for Christ's dependency. 2 Corinthians 3.5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from the Lord. We must renounce the idea that we have what it takes and embrace Jesus' evaluation of our personal inadequacy so that then we can relate to him in humility instead of pride. Another obstacle the enemy throws us is the roadblock of religion. When we say to ourselves that I am responsible to live the Christian life and that I have to perform to the best of my efforts to live the Christian life, it may sound good, but it's humanistic religion, not Christianity. Humanistic religion says you can do it. Christianity says you can't do it. We must come to this place of death to self. Paul put it this way, I die daily. We must, we must diminish the I. That's why Jesus keeps telling us things like deny yourself, die to self. He's not inviting you to a better version of you. That's religion. It's not a makeover you need, but a funeral. He's inviting you to your own funeral to die to the self-life. It's easy to spot people that are bound when their bindings are drugs or alcohol, but there's a different kind of binding, and it's very prevalent among Christians that we don't easily spot. Did you know that the word religion actually means to bind up? Some of us may be bound by religion and God wants to set us free. The truth is we cannot achieve goodness through religious exercises. We can only rest in the goodness of God's character. Evangelical humanism has brainwashed many genuine Christians into thinking their efforts and performance is the basis of Christianity. And that's not so. The basis of Christianity is, was, and always will be Christ. So let's do a compare and contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant or the law required a performance-based life, which led to spiritual bondage. The new covenant of grace is a relationship-based, which leads to spiritual liberty. The law kills, but the spirit gives life, 2 Corinthians 3.6. So one led to a death sentence and the other led to life, abundant life. Romans 8.2 tells us that we have a new law now and it sets us free from the old law. Now, I'm not saying that the law is bad because Romans 7.7 7 says it's not, but it's bad if we use it unlawfully. And that's in 1 Timothy 1.8. So let's use uh, board games as a teaching analogy on how we use the law unlawfully. The law or the old covenant was meant to point us to Christ, the new covenant. But the problem comes when we want to be under both covenants. So let's pretend that the law or old covenant is the game of sorry and that the new covenant of grace is the game of uno. 
An example of using the law unlawfully is trying to combine the two. The purpose of the law is to show us our sorry state and point us to the one, capital O, and by the way, uno means one in Spanish. The reason you can't successfully combine the old covenant and the new covenant is because they're different. there's different rules. And I, for many years, was trying to mix law and grace. I was trying to play the game of uno with my sorry game pieces. When you try to put the new covenant inside the old covenant, it will always burst on you. Matthew 9, 14, 17 says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins will burst and the skins and the wine will be ruined. I was trying to put the new wine of the new covenant of grace into the old wineskins of the old covenant of the law. And guess what? It doesn't work. Don't try it. And if you're doing it, stop doing it. Save yourself the misery. So I wonder how many times Moses had to hear the dreaded question. Are we there yet in that long, long road trip? So what I, my question today is not, are we there yet? But how do we get there? How do we enter into this rest? And the answer is not in a formula, no matter how many Christian books you will find in the Christian bookstore with thousands of formulas, don't spare yourself, okay? It's in a person. I, I did this experiment and I asked believers, give me two commands Jesus gave us. And I got all kinds of good answers but not one person gave me the two I was looking for. So let's, let's try that night, not right now. Think of two commands that Jesus gave us. So Shay and Betty, think of two commands Jesus gave us. And let me know what, what comes to your mind. The first thing that came to my mind was to love everyone as you love yourself. It's the number one thing that comes to my mind. <laughs> What about you, Betty? That's that's a good one. That's the well, first one. That was uh, love one another as I have loved you, which is the same. Okay, um, uh, yeah, but that is what comes to me: love one another and love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, the golden rule, right? The golden rule. <laughs> yes. But the two commands that I was thinking of that I never thought of them as actually being commands, but it's something Jesus does ask of us are Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me and John 15 abide in me. Mm -hmm. And that is not a formula, but it's a place, our place where we belong in Christ. Mm -hmm. Jesus is our address. God has moved us. Ephesians 2, 6 says, we are now seated in heavenly places. Problem is, you keep getting your mail sent to the wrong address, the old address. You keep living like you're still living in your old address, which is in the flesh. But that's not who you are anymore. Change of address is a big 
deal. And you have to change a lot of things when you change your address. You have to live in a different way now, according to your new address. When I moved from Puerto Rico to Colorado, guess what? I could no longer wear flip-flops in January, okay? <laughs> that was one of the many, many changes I had to make. So the day that you got saved, God gave you a new address and a new identity. You are now in the world, but not of the world. You can't keep living like you used to live in the past before you got saved. That makes no sense. That's like wearing flip-flops in a snowstorm. But we keep trying to do that. Yeah. And our culture is having huge identity issues right now. The question they ask us is, what do you identify as? But there's the issue of truth. And at the end of the day, what prevails is not what we identify as, but what God says we are. Everything else is mistaken identity. And Christians suffer from identity issues as well. You know that saying that says, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I really dislike that saying because we are no longer just sinners. God calls us now saints. And a more accurate statement would be, I was just a sinner, but now I'm saved. I'm a saint that sometimes sins. Remember, you are always his son and his or his daughter. That is your God-given identity. You're in a new place now. Stop receiving mail to your old address. When the enemy sends you the kind of messages that you know don't come from God, don't receive it. Be like those guys when they're getting served. I used to have an, a, a, a rental. And oftentimes, uh, we would have to find somebody to serve them. Mm -hmm. And what would happen is you have to serve the papers. You got to get near the person and you have to touch the person, say you have been served. Mm -hmm. Well, that guess what they would do as soon as they would see somebody pull the envelope, they would run and they couldn't catch them. Right. So I'm asking you to be like those people when the enemy sends you these negative messages, this hate mail that doesn't come from God. Run, don't receive it, don't take it in. When the enemy tells you you're alone and on your own, no, reject that. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When he says you are unloved, you know what? You're loved by the one who matters most, the creator of everything. So we enter into this rest. By following Jesus' command to number one, come to him, that is salvation. Number two, abide in him. That is how our sanctification works. This is Jesus' simple version of the gospel in a nutshell. Come and abide. And how easy and beautiful is that? But we complicate it by adding stuff. We pollute the gospel by adding additives to it, just like the food in our grocery stores. It's killing our bodies because it's filled with additives. Our spirits are weighed down because of all the additives 
that's, that we've added to the gospel. The gospel wasn't made to be complex, but it was made to be simple. So simple that even a child could understand it. Come and abide. That's all folks. No, that's perfect. And I, I will, first of all, thank you so much for bringing this to us and we're big road trippers. So all of those analogies, I was right there with you because we take all of the road trips because I don't like flying. And so we drive everywhere. Um, and when you were talking about a detour, this last road trip, we were stopped for two hours, completely stopped. And I was so mad because of that detour but then we, the road cleared and we were so grateful because there was a massive accident that we were not a part of. And so these detours that even God brings us on, they end up being so beautiful, but you know, we end up, I've taken a lot of detours by choice in my life <laughs> and because I felt like I can do things my way and I know a better way to do things from what God knows. And so I will take the detour and then I come back going, oh here we are on the main road, right? Where God wants me to be, but you learn so much in those. And I just, I loved all of those analogies. And, um, also when you were talking about just adding and adding and adding to salvation and how God just wants us to be with him. And I, and I love the Russian dolls because Betty has those. And my girls have always loved playing with those ever since they were little, they just love playing with those. And I've never, thought about that before as us being the little one and we're in him. And I just, I love that so much, but as you were talking about, um, just coming to him and abiding in him, um, I was just thinking, and I'm, and I won't go into the full story, but I was recently walking through some things with family and my whole life. I've had been like a people pleaser because that's what everybody wants me to be. And there's been a lot of people who have added on to what my salvation should look like and what my life as a Christian should look like, or my life being married to Noah in ministry, what I should look like and what I should do. And it's everybody else's extra things. And I recently just had to wash away with the extra. And it was hard because I had to kind of walk away from family but it was right where God wanted me to be. And it was doing away with the extra. And that was just part of, I don't know, just abiding in him. And so I see, I think sometimes we think abiding in him is easy or it's going to be, it's going to feel really good all the time. And it's going to just be this great thing, but there's also some painful parts because you're doing away with the world. You're doing away with people's expectations of you and you're doing away with maybe how people want you to live or how they want you to act, but there's so much beauty and so much peace and so much calm and ease when you go to him and you rest in the path that he has for you. And although it seems worldly hard to do, spiritually, it is so freeing to step onto that path. And to go down the path that God has for you and do away with the worldly things, which also sometimes means people. 
So if you're listening and, and Betty and I have had a lot of conversations about this, because thankfully she has walked through this situation with me and she was like, you're becoming a God pleaser and not a people pleaser, not a man pleaser. And so many times I think with all of the additives that people put into religion and into your salvation and into faith, it also means we tend to put people pleasing into that additive as well. Cause we need to look a certain way and be a certain way. When you do away with that and you just abide in him, it's a whole different world. <laughs> it is a whole different part of your salvation. And so I'm really grateful that you touched on the additives and all the things that we tend to add to God as if he's not enough, as if him sending his son to die on a cross. I mean, I think of my own kids. I don't want to nail one of them to the cross. <laughs> I love them too much to do that. But God loved all of us so much that he did that for us. And we act as if that wasn't enough. And so um, I loved all of your analogies and how you spoke on the additives and all the things that we tend to do, because I think it's really easy to get caught up in, are we doing enough? Are we acting right? Are we doing all of these things, but being close to him and abiding in him, he's enough. We don't need all the added stuff. And the added stuff is actually what causes the turmoil within us. <laughs> so thank you so much, Betty. Do you have anything? Yes. And I was thinking uh, about you, Shay, when Martha was talking and uh, that God, Jesus isn't calling us to anything but our own funeral and he's calling us to die. So I have a feeling that when we look at the big scope of things, eventually, um, that the thing you've just been through with your family kept trying to resurrect the old person in you that had already died when you received Christ. Yeah. And you kept trying to live to that and bring it up and make it successful. And it was never going to work. Uh, you have to die to that. And who knows what the Lord will resurrect yeah. in the whole thing because you've chosen this death process. Yeah. But also I liked when Martha uh, had the commandments of Jesus come to me and abide in me because we can't love everybody and love our neighbor as ourselves until we're in, till we're, Christ is doing it through us. You know, that's just, that's not a command that can be taken away from his presence. Only he can do that. And Martha, you know, you just touched on everything that's so important to me, identity, uh, complete dependence on him. Yeah. Uh, you know, we rest all the things. I just loved it. So yeah. Thank you. This was great. And, you know, in, in the beginning of your talk, when you had talked about how we, well, maybe it was the middle, but we started talking, you were talking about being self-reliant basically where, you know, we can do all the things ourselves. And I was just kind of sitting here thinking how many times in my life, God has allowed me to do things the Shay way. <laughs> And how he has allowed me to kind of learn, you know, try the self-reliant part. And he just sat there so patiently and so kind and so loving and allowed me to fall straight on my face for me to now go, 
and I'm not perfect at it. There are many times I still try to do things the Shay way because it's instant gratification. But so many times now that I can go, I've tried this my way. And now I know that I'm going to fail and I can just rest in knowing that God has got this and he is taking care of this. And I agree. You just touched on so many, um, so many great things that have been kind of stirring up in me in the last few weeks. And I'm sure other listeners as well, because God is definitely doing a lot of things and Satan is doing a lot of things right now. And so I think this was just a great teaching and very timely. So thank you so much for, for bringing that to us today. Thank you, ladies. And, and, you know, it doesn't mean, because my husband will sometimes say when he'll hear me teaching, he'll be like, well, the teacher needs to learn because <laughs> I know you and you haven't learned this stuff. I haven't attained this stuff. I'm preaching to myself. Yeah. These are the things, the homework God has been showing me these last, honestly, these last two years or so, you know, yeah. which have been very hard, but I think I've grown the most in these very, very hard years. It's been like growing pains. You know, when your kids will wake you up in the middle of the night, I, my legs hurt so bad and it hurts so bad. But then the next day, it's like they sprouted two inches, yeah. <laughs> you know? So God has been using this very difficult time, the most difficult time actually for me and my family um, to, to, to hopefully sprout us up. Yeah. Well, if it makes everybody feel any better, Mike's dad used to always, uh, because Mike was the first to say, none of us abide perfectly. Mm -hmm. So of course you're going to see us in the flesh sometimes. And, and, and it's just so silly for us to judge one another and expect perfection for one another. But that's, one of the things that Christians do the worst is expect perfection from one another. But, you know, Mike would be traveling with his dad and spending time with his dad and his dad would say, Mike, I've got this book that you should read. It's called Heavenly Discipleship or Sidetracked in the Wilderness, or, you know, because, uh, yeah. So, you know, you can point to any one of us on, on any given day and say, oh, yeah? Uh, yeah, is Betty Wells back up and running? You yeah. know, do we really need a dose of Betty Wells or do we need a dose of the Holy Spirit through Betty Wells? Yeah, and we all still have our flesh just because we become saved doesn't mean the flesh goes away, which would be very easy <laughs> if it did, but it's still there. And you know, there was something that Tim said a while back to Noah and I, and he said, you have to trust the, you have to trust the journey that that person is on with God. And so you have to trust that God is doing something on that person's journey, but instead we tend to judge everybody because it takes the or the uh, magnifying glass off of our own journey. And we don't want people looking at us. So we'd rather just point at other people, but really you have to stop and go, God's working on them too. So how can I pray for them? How can I come alongside them in their journey? 
And because they might be on their self life journey while they're trying to make their self be their God as they're learning who God is right now. And you have to trust God in that love them and support them how you can and meet them where they're at, but also trust that God is bigger than what you're even seeing and that he's doing bigger than what you're seeing right in front of you. Cause judgment is so easy to do. <laughs> so it's like our default gear. Yes. But the thing is the best thing we can do is po- gently point others to Christ. Yes. Because I really truly believe we're still going to be learning things the very last day that we have on this earth. Uh, yep. We'll never be through that process of learning, 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 and learning things the hard way, like you said, Shay, going down Shay tra- trails and finding <laughs> nothing there and <laughs> having to come back. Uh, it's just the process. Yeah. And I always say God could have made us with no flesh, mm-hmm. but then we'd be monsters of pride because we'd we just, we would nail this question like, we know how, and we already know believers like that. So uh, we don't need any more of, of those believers. But so when my flesh erupts, like you got angry the other day, Martha, uh, and I did just a month ago, uh, <laughs> we have to trust that the Lord's using it on both, both sides. Yeah. And Mike comforted me with that uh, because he said, because anger was a big part of my flesh. Um, not now, of course. But <laughs> anger used to be a big problem for me. And, mm-hmm. and I said, well, you know, it seems to me that anger is one of the worst flesh strongholds to have because it doesn't just hurt me. It hurts other people. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, no, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's always a benefit to the other person people as well as to you Uh, that's just God bringing us all along so that was a comfort well and I know I'm pretty sure Pa spoke on this as well and Noah talks about it a lot is the contrast we need our flesh as much as we don't like it as much as it's frustrating and you can feel it as it's coming out you're like this is totally my flesh coming out but we need that contrast. God leaves it there for a reason. And no, we don't want to be all walking around as like Christian robots who don't have any problems and who think that they're better than everybody else. But that flesh is great for that contrast of, I was, and not to bring it back to what I was walking through with my family, but that's just where I'm at right now is I was able to love through Jesus and not react in my flesh when for years I reacted out of my flesh and I would stand up for myself and I'd defend myself and I'd tell him all these things. And and now I was just like, okay, because this is where God has me. And if I didn't have that contrast of the 15 years of living in my flesh and people pleasing, I wouldn't have been able to see the beauty and have the ease and the rest that I have in him right now in this situation. Don't worry. There's a lot of other pieces of my life that are totally flesh, but in this situation, it was really cool to see the contrast between what I did in my flesh for so many years and then now to not be living in that flesh. So we need that, Mm -hmm. which, you know, we all get mad. We all get frustrated. I've got a teen and a preteen. It's not always calm around here. (laughs) There's, there's budding heads, but it's needed. And then to just trust that God has people on a path. So my, my flesh is really insurance 
that I won't become self-sufficient and I will stay at his feet. Yes, the flesh drives us back to the presence of the Lord. Yeah, exactly. All right, ladies. Well, I really appreciate you guys being on here. Martha, thank you so much for bringing the message today in this teaching. It was so great. And I love the fellowship after the teaching as well. Thank you so much for being here. And to the listeners, if there is a topic that you want to hear, or if you want to be on the podcast with me or with Betty and I, or whatever that looks like, I'm just going to throw Betty in there. Um, you can uh, email me at shay at abidinglife.com. It's S-H-A-Y. I know I spell it different than the shea butter, but um, you can email me there. You can always email Betty. Um, but we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you guys being here. And I hope that you liked this message because I did. All right. Have a great day.